Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a discussion just around uh, the development and the state um, of uh, the ride-hailing or the ride-sharing um, economy in South Africa. This is, you know, a big part of a lot of uh, people's, you know, daily lives, you know, commuting to and from work, uh, you know, for some, you know, going to and from school uh, for others just the general uh, business of life errands um, and the such and I think uh, over the last couple of years uh, ride sharing you know has really grown um, in the number um, of people making use of that because you know public transport infrastructure is not where um, it should be and then at the same time you have a lot of people you know making decisions about whether or not um, they still want to have their own vehicles or not and the likes of Uber has have come in um, to the market um, and I think the, one of the last numbers that I heard was that there were more than a hundred uh, more than a million people in South Africa using um, the the uber app um, I stand to be corrected um, in just a few moments but uh, to help us to get a sense of what the business is looking like right now particularly as uh, they recently just crossed um, one billion rides um, in Africa you know you hear a lot of crazy numbers um, in business but you know when someone says that uh, there have been over a billion rides um, on the Uber app in Africa that is um, a phenomenal number and we'll be just uh, getting a sense of what that looks like where South Africa in that equation and how do we compare to our compatriots um, over on the continent. Uh, to help us to unpack everything uh, we are joined uh, today you know by Franz uh, Himstra who is uh, the general manager for Uber, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Franz, greetings to you today. You are. It's great to be with you today. Thank you very much. And uh, I loved, I loved your introduction. <laughs> I was actually going to ask, uh, you know, are we are we correct uh, on the on the million number when it comes to the number of people using the Uber app um, in South Africa to get around? Yeah, the, the number sound, number sounds about sounds about right. Sounds about right. Okay, cool. So as we begin today's discussion, France, maybe you can give us a sense. Um, I think, you know, by now, you know, many people understand uh, ride-sharing, e-hailing and the such. Many people understand um, Uber as a company and as a brand. Um, you know, there's many different, you know, pieces of the business, whether people use Uber X, Uber Go, um, Uber Black, and then, you know, uh, quite popular is, you know, the Uber Eats side of the business. Uh, but in your particular particular uh, role as general manager, what are you actually looking after um, when we talk about sub-Saharan Africa? Sure. So, so my, my role is um, looking after the mobility business. We, we operate in seven countries across sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, we're in West Africa, East Africa, and, and South Africa. Um, and yeah, we have a number of different products across all our different markets, and we try and localize as much as, as, much as possible. So um, I'm sure we can talk about uh, about individual countries down the line, but essentially, in principle, we've come with a global concept. Um, we, we're almost ten years old, so nine years ago we came to uh, we launched in Africa, and um, we brought our, our our very international concept to to African shores, and we very very quickly and rapidly had to evolve to to localize to suit our, our markets. And I think a good example is. South Africa, we, we launched with Uber Black, 
which is our very premium uh, offering. Um, about a year after that, we, we launched uh, UberX, which really allowed us to, to start tapping into uh, more economical rides. Further on, we've, we've broadened our portfolio in, in South Africa to stretch to delivery, to stretch our more affordable UberGo product that you alluded to um, earlier, and then Uber Eats as well. So that's, that's South Africa. And then in East and, East and West Africa, we've got some exciting products. We've got two wheelers, we've got three wheelers, we've got four wheelers, and we've got Eats as well. But essentially, we need to localize to, to what makes sense for, for each country that we operate in. And, and I'm proud to say that I think we've done a pretty good job at, at getting that right so far. Am I correct in saying, you know, just given the description that you've just given us of your um, geographical spread and makeup that South Africa probably has uh, the most comprehensive offering when it comes to the different facets of Uber services? Well, um, yes and no, actually. So we, so we do have a nice portfolio in South Africa. The thing that we don't have in, in South Africa is, is our two and three wheelers. So in East Africa, we've got what we call Uber Boda, uh, which is motorbike. So imagine where you, where you call it Uber X or Uber Go. Uh, somebody comes with a motorbike, comes with a helmet, you jump on the back and they, and they let you, uh, and they take you through the traffic to your destination. And then we've got three wheelers as well. So, so that's where South Africa doesn't have the, the same as what we, what we have in East and West Africa. Okay, I think that definitely gives us a sense, um, you know, of uh, uh, what's going on in the in the region, and it's actually quite interesting, you know, some of the ways in which because you you, you we sometimes when you're used to a certain thing, you sometimes think of Uber, uh, perhaps in a monolithic way, uh, but I guess the localization aspect that you mentioned just now that uh, you know you've got uh, you've got the three wheelers and you know and the such in other regions, you know, because um, that's probably Probably, you know, something that is big in that particular region um, sort of, um, you know, speaks to what's actually going on um, on the market. And I guess just as a curiosity, you know, from that, have there been any aspects of, you know, the South African market that have created unique solutions for this particular market? Or, you know, have we largely in South Africa gone with uh, what's uh, happening in more developed markets? No, so I think South Africa, because we were such an early, uh, early, uh, adopter market, I think we were the 34th market in the world to, to launch. So we were quite early, quite, and that's city in, in, in the world to launch. We were quite early, uh, in, in Uber days. So a lot of the development of Uber happened as, as we, as we grew South Africa. I think the most recent one, which I, which, which I really like talking about is, is our delivery product. So if I take you back to, and this is not Uber Eats. This is uh, what we refer to Uber Connect. If I take you back to the lockdown days, first two weeks of lockdown, we saw that the whole world came to a standstill and, and drivers were not moving around, um, people were not moving around. And, and this use case of sending something point to point um, started coming started coming up. And we, and we saw it really early on. And we, we essentially spun up the Uber Connect product before it was an official Uber Connect product, um, out of, out of South Africa. And we started by, um, getting, getting drivers to sort of normal, normal Uber X drivers to do point to point deliveries. And then as I suppose the rest of the company caught up with us, we, we productized it and then rebranded to, to Uber Connect. We also then onboarded our, our career, uh, the, um, the delivery people that operate on, on Uber Eats. 
to start doing the deliveries for us. So that is something that was essentially birthed out of a need that we had during the lockdowns. And, and, and I love to see how this product has, has really taken, taken shape and, and is now entrenched in, in our, in our Uber business in, in South Africa. And I, I love to see this product continuing growing as, as the use case gets more well known and, um, as people get more comfortable sending their packages, whatever it is, if it's an envelope or a skateboard or a, I don't know, something larger, uh, through, through, through the Uber platform on Uber Connect. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's a quite, you know, quite a big one. And when you look at the, the 1 billion uh, number that we began this conversation on, uh, sort of bringing everything that we've uh, spoken on uh, together, you know, the dynamics in the different countries, um, the operating countries that you're looking after, um, ride hailing, you know, on the mm-hmm. continent, the fact that you guys have been here, you know, about a decade, right? Um, what does that, you know, billion number, you know, talk to us, you know, just around what that means, you know, in your universe, especially after after 10 years, around 10 years of being um, in the region. Yeah, so, so, so I love the stats. So I'm going to share some stats before we, before we go. So a billion trips, that means that we fill up Soccer City or FNB Stadium, as we call it, 5,000 times with the number of uh, people or, that have been moved on a trip-by-trip basis. So, so that's, that's really, really impressive. And I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to move people to whether they're going to work or going out to 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 a party or to go and visit friends. So I'm happy. I'm happy with that. But the thing that I'm really, really proud of is the is is the three million economic opportunities that have been created over the 50 African cities that we are present in. Um, because to move those billion people, we've needed three million earners to, to 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 make these movements. So that's the piece that I'm probably the most proud of. And um and and I'd love to I'd love to continue talking through that. We, we see a different, and, and I think that, I think the diversity of Africa makes it, makes it really nice to talk to. So we see different types of people using, um, using the app to earn, uh, in, in South Africa compared to, let's say, Nigeria. We might have somebody that just uses it, uses it sort of part time at the end of the, end of the week. They might do a few trips compared to South Africa where we've got somebody that's, that's running it a little bit more, um, sort of a little bit more professionally longer term. So I, I, I love the earnest story that we that we that we can tell around this this billion trips. I like the fact that you've uh, what you call this you've brought um, you've brought in the aspect of. Uh, you know, the earners on the platform, because I think a really big conversation over the last, uh, I would say, decade now, um, because, you know, with the rise um, of technology, there's been, you know, a lot of shifts in the way that people are working. And one of the big ones is, you know, this issue of uh, the gig economy, which is, you know, squarely where, um, yeah. you know, yourselves and, uh, you know, your compatriots uh, in the in the sector um are are sort of playing you know um in the gig economy you've got um you know drivers that use your platform um you know in some cases uh, they're using multiple platforms maybe you could talk to us about uh, that relationship um you know with uh, drivers in particular because I, I think around the world it's one of those things um where we often hear about um you know platforms like uber you know and uh, how they navigate the gig economy in particular yeah, sure. So I suppose if we, if we, 
to refer to, to work. So workers are, workers are part of the economics of security and, and social mobility for most people around the world. And I think what's beautiful about, about Uber and the gig work that, that is facilitated through the, through the platform is that the tech that we have available to us is, is the catalyst that brings to life this ecosystem that I'm referring to about that, um, is, is, is an alternative way of, of earning a living different to a, a nine to five as an accountant or a, or a, a lawyer or a security guard. Um, it is, it is, it is essentially digital entrepreneurs that are being created through, uh, through, through the gig work that, that Uber is, is, is facilitating. And what I love about it is we've obviously been parts of creating this ecosystem. And, um, I think that's, that's great. But then if you see how things evolve in, in the world today, we have a dire need, um, especially in a post COVID world to have people have access to earnings opportunities. And, and what I've loved to see is how, as we've starting to emerge out of COVID, we have, uh, more earners than before. We are, we are back to our, our pre COVID levels and surpassed that. And we've got more and more people taking advantage of being digital entrepreneurs through the through the Uber platform than than ever before. And I don't think we can say that the same for that in, in other industries where we've been through a really tough, I suppose, 18 to 24 months and and, and we're not necessarily back to the same level of of economic um opportunity that that we've that we've managed to attain through through the gig platform. And when it comes to the, that gig platform, what do you make um, of uh, what you call this? I think one of the things we can't escape um, is uh, what's going on. This debate, um, you know, that's around, you know, what is the gig economy? Um, you know, what is the responsibility of, uh, you know, um, companies, you know, or people that are providing work to gig economy workers? Because, um, you know, people often, uh, I think there was a strike recently and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, were asking, you know, just around what's going on because um, if there's a strike, you know, drivers um, downing tools, you know, saying that, you know, they're not going to be using uh, particular platforms. And, you know, a lot of the times um, when these strikes happen, it's not something that's isolated to the Uber platform in South Africa. There's also bolts mm. and, and the like. Um, how, d like that relationship between um, Uber and the drivers, right? How, how, how are you guys, I, I guess, working to, I guess, improve that, right? What are what are the actual sticking points? Uh, because at least on the outside, um, you know, people people that are taking the rides on a daily basis may not, you know, fully understand the nuance uh, that's actually going on. Sure. All they hear about is, oh, there's a strike, um, and then you wonder, you know, what's going on. And the reason I'm asking about that is because. There's this broader, um, there's the broader discussion around, you know, what is, you know, what are people going to be doing in terms of, um, you know, work and earning money going forward. We've heard about the great resignation around the world. Um, mm. we, we know a lot of, um, of the large companies. Um, I can point at Google, for example, that are all moving towards, um, you know, contract based work, um, or, you know, hiring out for specific projects. So more and more, you know, what is employment is a discussion that, uh, you know, people are having. Like, what, where, where are the lines? <laughs> yeah. You know, to, to, to what's it called? Um, you know, for lack of, uh, of a better term. Yeah. 
No, I think it's, it's, it's such a great question and such a, such a topical question. So I suppose let's, let's answer it in parts. I think the first piece on, on strikes, I think we should, we should probably put that a little bit into context in, in South Africa as well. So, so South Africa is, is, I think it's the, I think it's the country with the highest number of protests per day globally. So, so it does, it, it is something that's a little bit more commonplace in South Africa than, than other markets around the, around the world. And I suppose putting, putting that aside, if, if somebody is unhappy, then there's something that needs to potentially change to, to make them, to make them happier with their, with the, with the experience. So I suppose for us, it's, it's about making sure that Uber can be this enabler of, of quality independent work. Uh, our Uber model really works best as, um, with, with, with our owners being independent contractors. And if you, if you chat to, to the vast, vast, vast majority of owners, if they really understand the, the full meaning of independent work, they, uh, they, they prefer to be independent versus being, versus being employed. And I think that's something that we will, um, will, will evolve. And I think people will get a better understanding over, over time. I think if we look at the South African context, um, Informal work is, is commonplace in, in, in South Africa, and that's the dom- dominant form of, of self-employment. And I would like to say that the, the platform that we, that we have aggregates this type of informal work and essentially professionalizes the, the gig work or informal work that, uh, that is out there and creating, um, earning, earning opportunities and creating these small businesses and essentially um, and I come back to my point on digital entrepreneur, uh, digital entrepreneurship creates these opportunities for people. In truth, the, the regulations globally are, are not particularly well defined. Um, they're very unique country by country. So I think it's important to say that whatever is relevant in the United States or the UK or, um, other countries is, is, is quite different to what we have in, in South Africa. But we do feel that regulations need to be tailored to future fit the ecosystem for, for digital entrepreneurship. And they really need to be policy reforms need to be designed around creating a, uh, creating a, a earner friendly environment where, where, where this digital entrepreneurship can, can thrive. So, um, we, we have these times like the, the, the protest that you referred to earlier, where there's a, there's a group of drivers that are, uh, that are, that are unhappy and whether they're operating on Uber or other platforms is, is irrelevant. We need to take that as a signal and learn from that. So we have process in place. Um, we have a dedicated team that does what we call a partner engagement or earner engagement. And, and this team is tasked to listen, take feedback from earners, process that. Communicate it out and essentially change where we, where we can. So, um, practically, let me tell you how we do that. We've got, we've got, uh, focus groups or round tables that we hold with, with drivers. And obviously, as things eased up through, uh, towards the end of COVID, we were able to go a lot more in person than what we, what we were before. So we've had, um, gosh, I think something like 30 in person focus groups in the last, last four or five months. And, and, and we got some great insights out of that. Um, there was one that I actually attended in Cape Town, I think about three months ago. And there was this very specific issue in the app that drivers raised that we had, a mis- we made a mistake when we configured the app. They raised it to me and the team and we figured out, wow, this is an obvious thing that 
we didn't know because we because we're not necessarily sitting in the car and we were able to change so um i suppose having a efficient and effective engagement mechanism allows us to 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 have a, a very well functioning relationship with 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 earners in truth this is a very human environment and, and not everyone is always happy with everything and that's why we need to continue improving on our side communicating and making sure that everybody understands um and understand each other to the best way possible um, I like the fact that um, at least it sounds like there's um, a lot of effort um, that's being put into, you know, a lot of this engagement because, you know, one can imagine that with, uh, I think the the last number I saw was around uh, 40,000 um, gig economy drivers in South Africa. And, you know, that's quite a sizable, you know, that's quite a sizable market, you know, when one, you know, when one thinks about uh, the uh the the landscape of uh you know people trying to you know put food on the table in south africa where that has you know become you know quite a uh you know quite a big issue and i think my last uh my last follow-up you know with uh you know with all of this that's uh you know that is going on is around what you've just said now because you said you know drivers uh come uh, they engage with you guys uh they raise an issue um, and then, um, you know, there is an issue and you guys are able to attend to it. Um, I guess it's around the type of flexibility that you guys have um, in this region to to put in some of these features uh, or to correct, you know, certain mistakes, you know, for a certain locality, um, you know, just around how that works. Because I've always been of the mind that the Uber app is sort of uniform um, across markets because I have used it, um, you know, overseas before and it, it seemed pretty much the same, you know. So, you know, just wondering just around how all of that works um, in the background. Whatever you can share, I'm sure there's, you know, some trade secrets inside there, but <laughs> whatever you can share with us. Yeah, I think it's, I, I, love, I love hearing that you say you experience the Uber app exactly the same in every country because it means we're doing, we're doing something right. The, in truth, we want to cr- create an experience that is consistent across the across the world, but you cannot ignore the fact that um, this is a human and a very localized um, localized business that we that we run. So we have to we have to tailor make it. Um, I think I want to I maybe want to go back a little bit. We're talking about the engagement with with drivers. I I alluded to to the in person sessions, and, and in truth, there's there's tens of thousands of owners that operate on. On the platform, and we and we need to be scalable and efficient in how we how we engage and and feedback that we get. So it's not limited to um, a few roundtables uh, that we that we have with drivers. We've got process in place where owners are able to communicate with with Uber and with the humans that sit on the other side of the other side of the app on a on on a continuous basis. So we have um, in app in app support. Where they can communicate with, um, with Uber and give, give feedback there. We have, um, a call center that they can call into. We, we run periodic sort of outbound calls where we, where we'll call drivers for, um, for, to, to survey on specific topics. And then we've got a, and then we've got a continuous feedback loop that happens through, um, our, our driver satisfaction survey that, that runs in the background. So um, periodically, drivers will get a get a ping on the app, tell us how's your experience on Uber. Have you got some level of feedback? 
they push that through and um, and that essentially gets processed and similar to how an insight that gets pulled out of a very hands-on uh, focus group they are uh, th- that that feedback is processed and, and essentially pushed back into the back into the um you know, when it comes to this engagement thing, I guess a lot of people would be, uh, you know, curious. At least uh, there seems to ha- be that feedback loop um, that's constant because there is, you know, at least on the consumer side, um, there is, you know, also uh, the rating system that is happening uh, for both Ubers, uh, no, for yeah. both uh, drivers and um, Uber riders. You know, so the the drivers and the riders are able uh, to to at least rate themselves from that point of view. And I wanted to maybe take this opportunity to switch the conversation a little bit. Uh, you know, to talk um, right now. I'm putting on my consumer hat. I'm putting on my um, you know using Uber on a daily basis uh, point of view. Um, we hear about inflation. South Africans are going through the most right now. Um, fuel is set to do somersaults at the end of the month uh, when it comes to the price. Um, we hear about what's going on in uh, you know the rest of the consumer goods market. Uh, everyone is complaining about cooking oil right now, all the basic goods, but fuel is a big input cost into transport. Um, how are you guys, you know, navigating that? Um, how has it affected, you know, because I'm pretty sure uh, that it's uh, that it's factoring in one way or another into current pricing, you know, for the for, for the app and, uh, you know, the rides that people sure. are having. And whilst you're doing that, maybe you could also just give us a little bit of insight just into how some of these things are calculated because sometimes people, you look, and it's like, okay, why is this this price? And, you know, why is that another price at another time of day or, mm. you know, all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's, it's such a, such a relevant question and topical thing at the moment. So, uh, inflation across the board. It's not just, it's not just fuel. You, you alluded to it. Other industries are pushing, pushing, pushing prices up. We, um, like cooking, cooking oil, just 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 being one example. So there's there's a few there's a few sides to this quote. Obviously, we need to consider it on the rider side because riders are riders have their pockets essentially being essentially being squeezed because of the the higher prices and and, and just even post COVID, I think everybody realizes there's there's less money to to go around, and as a result, we we had to create a, a product that would fit better for, for 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 people's pockets. So that's why we introduced the UberGo UberGo product. And that's based off the fact that the cost base is lower on, on UberGo. It's smaller vehicles, um potentially potentially uh cheaper cheaper vehicles with lower fuel efficient a better fuel efficiency, which are allow us to offer a, a lower rate to uh to, to riders. So that's the that's the one piece. But you can't deny the fact that Prices are increasing and, and drivers are running their businesses. And the big input cost for a driver is, is fuel. And for a driver or an earner to, to live, bread prices are going up. So, so we consider all of that, um, when we, when, when, when we, when we model economics behind, behind our prices. So you might have noticed, uh, just as shortly as about two weeks after the, uh, the global situation heat, heated up with, um, with, with Ukraine and there was oil price shocks coming through. We actually did a fair adjustment. Uh, we increased fares in, not just in South Africa, literally across the globe. And that was all based on the modeling that we do 
uh, with fuel as being one of the line items that that drivers need to need to pay when they when, when they're running their business. So essentially, we we run that model and then it spits out what the right price is. At the same time, we need to balance it with what what riders can afford, and um, that fine balancing act is, is is tough. So so we do our best to to model it in 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 the most efficient way. Um, one of the things that is happening, you know, when people are uh, thinking about uh, riding on Uber, uh, still looking at it from the consumer side of things, is this issue of safety. Um, this is, you know, across the board, you yeah. know, uh, here I'm not shy to name, you know, all the, all the competitors, because at the moment it's just yourselves and Bolt as the, as the main players. And there's different reputations when it comes to, you know, safety and the risk of, uh, you know, taking a ride, you know, on, on either platform. Um, how are you guys, you know, working, you know, around that? There are horrific stories that we hear, you know, where that's about uh, sexual assault, where that's about actual assault, um, you know, theft, robbery, all of that, um, you know, some horrific stories, like I said, that uh, people have experienced um, in the in the, in the the ride-sharing uh, economy in South Africa, right? So, you know, how are you yeah. guys responding to that? Uh, firstly, because uh, I think, it's it's no secret uh, that crime in South Africa is, you know, what it is. Um, you know, how are you guys, I, I guess, working around that? You know, firstly, um, for consumers, you know, because the riders are important, but also at the same time, yeah. it's also no secret that, um, you know, drivers uh, on ride-hailing platforms have faced a lot of danger on their own persons um, yes. over the years. Yeah, so I think that's, it's, 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 it's important to note that safety from an Uber perspective has always been a priority. It's not a, a recent thing that because of, because of, uh, some things that have happened in, in, in the more recent past, uh, it's, 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 it's a principle that we live by. So one of our values is we, is, is we stand for safety. And I suppose it makes sense to re rewind a little bit to when we, when we came to South Africa. When you came to South Africa, as I said, there was only 30 odd cities before we launched Johannesburg and and safety wasn't safety like we know it in South Africa and I think the beauty of being able to tailor and being able to be part of a, a business that's agile and grows is that we we learned from the market so we accelerated our, our safety features that we built specifically around the South African context and a lot of the features we have and I'll chat to you about it in a bit we're actually created in, in South Africa and are now being used globally. So, so we, we try and pioneer new features in markets where, where the need is even, even, even more. So we also need to be conscious of what we can control. And that's where Uber needs to, needs to lean in. And we actually do lean in. So from a features perspective in the, in the app, we've got a, um, an emergency button. So for a driver or for a rider, if you're on trip, there's a little blue shield at the bottom. You can tap that button. And you can get emergency armed response within two to five minutes. And, uh, and that's, that, that's something that we built in South Africa and we are now doing, uh, in many markets across the world. And we've got some, some really, uh, it's not nice to talk about it as a success story, but successes where we've managed to, to apprehend, uh, criminals or bad actors, um, from committing a crime on the app because of, because of this and it creates a sense of comfort for riders, riders and drivers. Then you have the standard piece, GPS tracking on every single trip. That um, is very important at every single moment of the trip. The app knows where, where you are. We have a, um, a feature that runs in the background 
that essentially detects anomalies. So if there's a long stop, for example, on, I don't know, in, in Cape Town, the N2 is quite dangerous on a certain area. And if there's a long stop there, the, the app will immediately trigger a phone call to the driver and the rider to ask, is everything okay? And if not, they'll dispatch the, the, the security. So that's something that we've, that we've recently built. We also realized that, that things unfortunately happen on the platform. So we've got injury protection, um, which is this protection that we have for drivers and, and riders. And all of these features amongst others help us do what we can to enhance safety as much as possible as, uh, uh, as uh, when you operate on the platform. The other one is then just practical safety. So it's not just limited to what we have on the app. And I've named two of about 25 safety features that we can talk to. But the other thing is making sure that we plugged into the, into the local law enforcement and security industry in South Africa. And we've got great relationships through our law enforcement team with police and community stakeholders that keeps us plugged in and make sure that we are working together with law enforcement to, to combat, combat, combat crime and keep the platform safer for, for owners and for, for riders. And then there's one that, that we don't always think about is, is data safety. And uh, it's been quite, it's been quite a, a topical issue across the, across the world on, and how your data gets managed and the privacy of your data as a user, being it a driver or a rider. We uh, comply with all the very strict GDPR guidelines and we've, and we've actually got a specific privacy center in the app that our users can use to check out how we use their data and, and get some comfort for, for, for how we protect their, protect their data as, as one of our, our, our really, really key priorities. So safety is something that we live and breathe and we try and build everything we can to adapt to to the local safety needs of, of drivers or, or of, of owners or, or, or riders in the market we operate in. Yeah, no, this uh, you know this one is very important, and I can imagine the complexity that comes with you know trying to implement um, some of the safety uh, some of the safety standards um, across the board, especially you know where you find yourselves in situations where. Um, I guess as a company, um, it's a, it's a platform, right? And you have people uh, that are coming onto the platform that don't have a a what you call this um, an employment you know type of uh, relationship with the platform. So I can imagine the complexity of you know um, you know implementing uh, some of these things, and also at the same time the speed with which bad actors and criminals um, tend to evolve. Um, some of the ways that they do things, you know, it's actually, um, you know, quite uh, quite a tough uh, type of scenario, I can imagine, uh, to try and have, you know, some of those uh, safety standards uh, being where they need to be. I think it's I think it's a good point that you make there, and maybe that's something that is 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 worth mentioning when we talk about bad actors um, potentially coming onto the onto the platform or using the the platform for not not for good. Um, and I suppose the, con the control we have there is, is, is around the screening. So on, on both, both on the owner side and on the, on the rider side, we have robust controls in place. So on the driver, driver partner side, we do robust, um, uh, ba cr criminal background checks before a driver can take a trip. They need to do, um, driving evaluation, um, before they, before they get access to the, to the app and have all kinds of other, documentation in place and then on the on the rider side um for the best interest and safety of drivers we have um verification specifically around around cash trips where there isn't a, 
a card present where we where we do um some some rider verification on on riders when they when when they join the platform to try and weed out as many of these bad actors as possible before they even get a chance to interact with the with the app and and without that i think we would be quite vulnerable so it's, it's such a critical piece of our of our safety net that we put up most certainly. Now, as we, you know, round up this discussion, Franz, I want to um, end off talking about uh, the state of competition um, in the ride-hailing market, uh, you know, in the region. You know, just talk to us, uh, you know, around um, what's going on, um, you know, in the industry. And I'm going to ask a pointed question, you know, because um, yeah, Uber is arguably, you know, the largest player in the world, um, in the region, and uh, and in uh, and in South Africa as well, right? Uh, and I'm asking this question specifically for South Africa. I'm not sure about the other countries that you look after, but specifically for South Africa, does South Africa have room, you know, outside of uh, the two dominant players that are there right now? Uh, is there room for a third player to come in? Um, when you guy, when you talk to the guys uh, in telecoms, you know they tell you that um, usually you need a market that has about maybe three, three or so network operators at most, and that usually even for the third player things can be a bit tough. If there's a fourth one, it makes things even tougher in terms of gaining the market and all of that stuff. And the reason I ask is because we saw Didi coming into South Africa um, and. You know, Didi, not to say they didn't have resources because they're a heavily resourced company, um, you know, coming out of China, deep pockets. They came into South Africa. Um, they came in, um, you know, undercutting prices uh, first on the consumer side and also the rates, um, you know, on the driver side. Uh, but at some point, they just decided that they were going to fold. You know, they gave up um, on this market. You know, so maybe against the backdrop of that context, um, you can talk to us about the market. Is there room uh, for other players apart from what we have at the moment? Yeah, so I I believe there is room. I believe there is room. Uh, we you referred to Didi. They didn't they they didn't make it, make make it in the market. But uh, yeah, I, I do believe there is room if the right value prop is is built and um, and 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 you, and you stick it out in the in the market. So I do believe that there's still potential for a for a for a third player. What I do like about competition, and I to be honest, I don't love talking about individual competitors um, myself. I, I I rather prefer talking about what competition does for for us. And, um, I love competition. Um, honestly, it's, it's something that I take, I take very seriously on my, on my day job and I welcome it because it makes us better. And, um, a lot of the things that we potentially accelerate to do over the last while because is because of the competitiveness of the South African, South African market. So I believe we have improved the experience for, for both owners and, and, and riders, uh, since we've been really kept on our kept on our toes so i i do think it is it's it's possible to have multiple competitors in in the south african market but they have to make sure that they have a good sense of the market you need to localize you need to understand what your what your consumers need and then and then play to play to that so i i can't really talk about why competitors succeed or not but uh, I, I love having them around. They keep uh, they keep us busy and they keep us innovating. 
And uh, I think essentially that grows our business and it uplifts the communities we operate with. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of competition. All right. And then, um, you know, on the last point for this discussion uh, around competition as well, um, the different services that you guys, uh, you know, are offering, you, you've got the different tiers of, you know, of uh, uh, the ride hailing side, there's packages, um, you know, there's food delivery, all of that stuff. Of all the different services that you guys are offering as Uber in South Africa, uh, you guys are competing at each level with other players. What's the most competitive, you know, sub-market of all of these different things that you guys are offering? Yeah, I think it's quite hard to hard to say which is which is more competitive. Uh, they're all very competitive. I think the even even the the, the delivery, the point to point delivery space is, is is very competitive. So I wouldn't say one is more competitive than than the other. But if I can turn your conversation one direction, is as we've as we've grown as a, as a brand and started figuring ourselves up out, and understand we're not we're not a very very old company. We've realized the the power of our platform and um, harnessing that power, whether it is whether it's for food delivery, whether it's point to point, whether it's moving people, whether it is um, it is creating data that we can that we can use to make cities better. Everything that makes Uber a success is the diversity that we can create with this with this platform that we have. So, um, yeah, it's all competitive and our, our strategy is make sure that we diversify, um, diversify what we focus on. Um, but it's still tied to our core, which is moving people or things. All right. So that's been us. It's been, you know, quite a fascinating discussion. We're talking to Franz Himstra, uh, who is the general manager for Uber Sub-Saharan Africa, giving us some uh, insight and uh, into the lay of the land uh, when it comes to the ride hailing and ride sharing um, economy in South Africa and also uh, a couple of insights into what's going on um, on the rest of the continent in the in the markets that uh, the company is um, operating in. Um, he was talking about the fact that uh, you know the in each country um, one of the big things is trying by all means um, to localize you know some of the services um, there is a lot of uniformity in how the app actually works uh, but um, you know in each market you will have a couple of uh, you know a couple of interesting um, you know localizations such as uh, the two and three wheelers uh, that he was uh, talking about you know outside of South Africa and also at the same time the fact that uh, they have been able to come up, you know, with certain safety precautions in South Africa specifically that are then rolled out, you know, to other countries. One of the big things is just around uh, pricing at the moment because um, we've seen fair adjustments, you know, across the world when it comes to ride hailing and uh, Uber has not been, you know, has not been isolated at all. They're also, um, you know, part of what's going on. And he's saying that, uh, you know, they try by all means, but um, it is is the global economy you know as we see it and then also at the same time we had we spoke at length around uh, the safety uh, because that is a big concern particularly in a country like South Africa um, you know the safety of drivers uh, but also you know quite importantly the safety um, of the people that are actually using uh, the platform to get from point A to point B uh, you know some of that uh, passenger safety and then I think uh, on the last point on my end is uh, the state of 
competition you know in south africa um at the moment until someone else um comes in and succeeds um, uh, I would say for now, it seems that uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, somewhat of a two-player market. Um, we've had, you know, others coming in, but, you know, not sticking around for too long. So until uh, someone else does come and prove me wrong for now, uh, we will declare that this is a two-player market. Franz, thank you so much for being with us today. Diwa, thank you very much. I really enjoyed chatting to you. This is Mudiwa's Take. Until someone proves us wrong, it really does seem that at the moment, uh, ride-hailing slash ride-sharing in South Africa um, is a two-player affair. The fact that such a big player like Didi uh, would come into the South African market and give up, you know, just, uh, you know, after, you know, a very short space of time, I, I guess it's evident of what's going on. And I think what's surprising about that particular exit of Didi is the fact that that despite the, some of the lower fares and some of the lower rates um, that uh, you know they were taking away from drivers and you know all of that stuff, they were they still thought that it wasn't worth it. Obviously, in coming to South Africa, they saw something because they really pushed um, when it came to the marketing. They made their brand visible. They were all over the place. They were offering uh, a lot of um, specials. They were offering a lot of discounts and special rates. Uh, but after all of that push, the fact that they thought uh, that whatever metric they were using and then decided that, okay, fine, it's not worth it uh, for us to stay here is surprising. And the main reason for, you know, why it's surprising on my end is simply because um, when you do interact um, with a lot of drivers, you do get a sense. Back in the day, you knew that, you know, you know, sp- certain drivers would only be using uh, the Uber app, for example. Uh, but now you almost see it's commonplace um, that the same drivers that you see um, over on uh, the Uber platform might be the same uh, drivers that you see over in Bolt. So, um, and at the time, Didi just became the third platform uh, that a lot of these drivers were now using um, when it came to that. So, from a market point of view, it sort of points to perhaps a finite type of market um, to say that there's a set number of people that are using the app and that they probably have their preferences or, you know, simply to say that even as a third option, um, that the pricing or whatever was being offered wasn't differentiated enough uh, for riders in particular to take advantage um, of uh, what was being offered on the platform. But like I said, until someone else comes into the market and is able to stick it out and actually succeed um, in the market for now, you know, despite the fact that there are a number of other smaller players uh, that are playing around, we have two uh, dominant players in the market. And until that uh, particular situation changes, we will say that South Africa is a two-player market when it comes to ride-sharing. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Pocket Cast or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudiwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Thank you.